Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? And the answer to that question is no, they do not. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth uh, not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, whereby... Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. The, question, the sermon tonight is uh, entitled this, What to do with rotten fruit. What to do with rotten fruit. You've given someone the gospel. You have casted the seed. You have watered the seed. You have watched as that person has heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel. And they reject the gospel. Well, what do you do If the fruit is rotten, let's pray. Lord, help us tonight as we consider this topic. Uh, We all know many people, Lord, who uh, we've given the gospel to, and they just seem to keep it at an arm's distance. And it can be confusing sometimes to know, Lord, how to handle someone like that. And so as we look at this tonight, uh, help us to have a clear understanding. And then, Lord, help us to move forward with a heart that is content uh, to live right and then give the gospel where the opportunities arise and leave the results up to you. Help us, Lord, understand this truth in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Let's jump right into the outline this evening. Uh, and let's look at point number one, the requirement of goodly fruit. The requirement of goodly fruit. What is the requirement for a person to be saved. Well, it's laid out rather clear. Hold your place in Matthew and turn over with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse 8. There's a word here we're going to look at in Luke chapter 3 that is a word that's highly disputed in Christian circles. I don't know why it's so highly disputed, but it is. Let's look at verse 8 and see if you can identify the word. It says, But bring forth therefore fruits... Worthy of, what's that next word? Repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to, uh, of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So he says, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. That phrase from John the Baptist uh, is quoted uh, again uh, in another book uh, about bringing fruits uh, uh, to uh, of repentance, rather. What is the requirement for fruit to be uh, picked or to be gathered or to be harvested? What is the requirement for someone to be saved? Well, really, it can be summed up in one word, and that word is repentance. Repentance. Go back over to Matthew chapter 7. Well, what does it mean to repent? Well, look at verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go uh, uh, in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way 
which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, in the book of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements about himself. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. Uh, I am the way, the truth, the life, and, and on down the list. One of the names, uh, one of the descriptions Jesus says is, I am the gate or the door. All right. So how is it that a person gets on the straight gate? Well, they put their faith in Jesus. What does it mean to repent? It means to change your mind. It means to change your mind. By the way, changing your mind ought to eventually lead to a change of your actions. But repentance is not the changing of actions. It is the changing of the mind. What is it that a person is to change their mind from? And what is it that a person is to change their mind to in order to be good fruit or fruit that's worthy of receiving salvation? The, the change that must be made is they must change their mind from whatever is not Christ and they must change their mind to Christ. Now, you can come up with a list... 100, 100 feet long and font size 12 of all of the things that a person could be trusting to go to heaven. But whatever it is, it doesn't matter. They must leave that belief system and choose rather to believe in Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. For some in this area, for many in this area, they believe in good works. They believe in good works. Um, uh, others believe in a religious system. Someone, I was talking to someone before the service this evening, and uh, they said that uh, there's a lady that was here this morning, that was a visitor this morning, and they have visited this lady many times, and this lady has come two, three, four times on special occasions, and her statement has been, I am Catholic, I will always be Catholic, I will never stop being Catholic. You know what that tells me about that lady? Her faith is in the Catholic Church. Her faith is not in Christ. It's in the Catholic Church. I've shared this before, but it bears repeating here. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was out doing some inviting to church and some witnessing and knocked on a door and an old lady came out. I don't know how old she was, but she looked like she was in her 80s or 90s. And uh, I asked her if she knew she was going to heaven. And she looked at me and said, Young man... You can take that book in your hand right there, the New Testament hand. She said, you can take that book in your hand right there, and you can show me that I'm going to hell as a Catholic, and I still won't leave the Catholic Church. She said, I would rather die and go to hell as a Catholic than repent from being a Catholic and go to heaven. You know what her faith is in? The Catholic Church. The Catholic Church. Now, what makes the Catholic Church so confusing is that they do talk about Jesus. And they do talk about his death on the cross. And at times they talk about his resurrection from the dead. But make no mistake about it, while a lot of their terminology terminology might sound a lot like our terminology, their faith, their, their requirement for you to get into heaven through that system is not faith in Jesus. It's faith in the church. It's faith in the church. Now, I also want to say this. I do believe that there are some people in the Catholic Church who are saved. I do believe there are some people who call themselves Catholic who have stumbled upon the gospel and put their faith and trust in Jesus to save them. And I, 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 I do believe we're going to get to heaven and see some percentage of those in the Catholic Church that truly were saved. Now, let me uh, uh, help you all, uh, let me articulate it this way. Satan is a master of manipulation. He is the master of manipulation. He loves to take things that God does, and he loves to create a false version 
of what God does. And Satan is really good at fooling humanity. He's an expert at it. And so God created the church. The church. Um, and so Satan came along and said, I'm going to counterfeit the church. What did Satan create as a counterfeit to the church? He created religion. Religion is Satan's counterfeit for church. I'm going to prove it to you right here. There are basically two belief systems when it comes to faith. There are two belief systems in all the world. You can take all of the religious denominations. You can take all of the different sects of religion. Islam and Buddhism and, and those who followed Confucius. and uh, You can take all of it. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Presbyterian, Baptist, Lutheran, uh, Methodist, Episcopal, Catholic. All of them. You can take all uh, not, uh, evangelical churches. You can take all of them and you can put them in one of two categories. All of them. There is doing and there is done. Doing says you must follow this set of good behavior in order to make it into heaven, in order to make it into the afterlife, the positive afterlife, depending on whatever the religion is, depending on how that's called, and depending on that set of belief system. And listen, there's some whacked out, whacked up stuff out there. There's religious systems that say, uh, take the Bible and do the good works of the Bible and God will let you into heaven. Satan also has others where he'll say, hey, you go out and you kill people who are infidels and, 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 and if you die a martyr, then you'll be given a planet, uh, to live on with a bunch of virgins, and, and it's sick and disgusting, but what is it? It's all the same thing. If you follow the moral code, you will get the positive afterlife. Then there is done. There's doing and there's done. Done says, look, you're broken, you're sinful, you deserve damnation because of your sin, Jesus Christ came, He was God on earth, He died on the cross, He died in your place, and if you will turn to Him and you will believe it that it has been done on the cross, then you can go to heaven. And so this set of religion over here uses guilt to get people to do right. The done religion or the done faith system says you are guilty of, of, of sin and the penalty for your sin was already paid. Doing and done. How does a person get to heaven? They must leave any doing system that they find themselves in and they must look to the cross and say, I can't do it. It has already been done. Now, there are people who don't go to church. Can I tell you that folks who don't go to church, they still have a religion? You say, well, what's their religion? It's themselves. Do you know the number one religion in America... The number one religion in America isn't any denominational name or title. The number one religion in America does not have traditional, uh, quote-unquote, church or religious buildings. The number one religion in America is humanism. It's humanism. It's the worshiping of the human self. It's the worshiping of one's own being. And I will eat what I want, when I want. I will sleep with who I want, when I want. I will do what I want, when I want. If it feels good, do it. And don't wave any religion in my face. Don't you know your Bible says, judge not that ye be not judged? Don't judge me. It's a worshiping of the human self. You know what? In order to be saved, in order to go to heaven, in order to be goodly fruit, you must turn from a belief in yourself, you must turn from a belief in a false religion, and you must turn from any belief that isn't Jesus, and you must turn to Christ and say, I change my mind from believing this, and I choose by faith to repent to believing in Jesus Christ. 
When I go out and I invite people to church, I witness to people, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to persuade them from a doing system to a done system. Jesus did it for you. Believe in Jesus. That is really the goal of persuading for the Savior. Well, what do you do when you have worked and worked and worked worked to convince someone to be saved and they just don't want to hear it? Number two, notice the rejection of godless fruit. The rejection of godless fruit. There will be a day, please hear me, there will be a day when the quick and the dead will stand before God and the heart will be judged before God. And those who trusted in Christ were fruit worthy of repentance will go into heaven. And those that did not trust in Christ, uh, whether they were a sham, a fake, and a phony, or they just out and out lived uh, opposed to God and His Word and sort of thumbed their nose at God, all those who never put their faith and trust in Christ will be rejected by the ultimate fruit, fruit inspector in heaven, and they will be damned, condemned to hell. Letter A, notice the rejection of godless fruit within the church. Within the church. Look back at Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Every, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Notice below that their portrayal. Their portrayal. Look at verse 15 with me again. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. False prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They come in and they look polished. They look sharp. They look together. They have a facade that is as, as, as uh, deep as just, uh, it, it's, it's, let's see, it's very shallow. They come in looking like a sheep. But inwardly, they are a wolf. They are a wolf. Their portrayal. Next, notice their perversion. Their perversion. Look back at verse number 15 of Matthew chapter 7. The Bible says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, what do I take from this? Well, one, their heart intent is not to build up and help people. Their heart intent is to tear down and destroy people. And so they put on a winsome front. They put on a convincing front. They come across as the real deal for a short time so they can woo people to their side, so they can win people to their side. And once they have built up influence, once they have convinced people of their own credibility, they will play on that influence and credibility and they will tear down and they will destroy their perversion. Inwardly, they are sick Inwardly, they are perverted, they're twisted, and um, uh, God one day is going to sniff them out, snuff them out, and they will be rejected as, as, as rotten fruit. Notice next, their productivity, their productivity. Look at verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Now you say, well, pastor, now you have me nervous. You have me nervous. Are there any of these folks in our church? And the answer is, I don't think so. I don't believe so. I believe all of our, all of our life group leaders at 945 are good, godly folk who love the Lord and, 
and love the church and are looking to build up and not tear down. I don't believe any of the pastors on the staff here have ever been of that sort. Uh, pastors or assistant pastors, God's given us a good set of assistant pastors here over the years who have been true to God's Word in both uh, their behavior. Uh, but you, you must be very careful with this. Verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Verse, look at verse number 20. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, interestingly enough, back in Matthew 7, 1, earlier in this chapter, we're told not to judge unless we be judged. But seemingly in this passage, we're being told to use our judgment or our discernment. Our judgment or our discernment. How do you know if somebody is just uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing? How do you know that? Well, over the long haul of their life, you should be able to see corruption. There should be corruption. In fact, this passage, Matthew seven sixteen through 20, says that a good tree cannot put off corrupt fruit. And a corrupt tree cannot put off good fruit. And so look at the body of work of a Christian's life. Are they constantly in strife and problems and running people, um, uh, rubbing, uh, running people the wrong, rubbing people the wrong way? Are they constantly uh, um, uh, 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 looking to take advantage of people and discard people and abusive in their nature? If so, they're probably a wolf in sheep's clothing. Are they looking to build their kingdom, or are they looking to build the kingdom of God? They're looking to build the kingdom of God. Are they more concerned about the church moving forward? Or are they more concerned about building up their own name and their own prominence and building up their own reputation? And so, their productivity. You can look at the body of work of their life and you can determine if they are a wolf in sheep's clothing, if they are godless fruit that will be rejected. Notice lastly there, their perdition. Their perdition. Look at verse... Uh, number 21 with me in Matthew chapter 7. It says, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That he that doeth the will of, of, the, of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done uh, many wondrous works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. You workers of iniquity. We're going to get to heaven one day, and there are going to be some people who have, who have had us all hoodwinked. They have looked the part, they have talked the part, they have acted the part, they've known all the vernacular, but deep down inside, they were never, ever saved. They were never, ever saved. I really believe when we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked by some of the people that are there. I talk about a faction, a small group of people within the Catholic Church that I believe are probably saved. You know, I believe that probably an equal percentage of people that sit in gospel-preaching churches across this country are probably lost. Now, I don't want to make anybody here doubt their salvation, but I ought to be able to preach a good, hearty sermon to challenge your salvation. If you are saved, you ought not be shaken. Within the church. Are you going to get to the judgment seat of heaven one day? And God look right through the veneer you've been putting up to people for 20, 30, 40 years at church. And say, you may have had the pastor fooled. You may have had the deacons fooled. You may have had the other church leaders fooled. You may have had your other brothers and sisters in the Lord fooled. But you never were a brother or sister. You never were saved. You looked the part. You talked the part. You acted the part. 
but you never called on my name. There was never that fruit worthy of repentance within the church. Let her be noticed without the church. If you're here tonight, turn over to Matthew chapter 12. If you're here tonight and you have not yet called on the name of the Lord, can I just say this to you? Satan will use every lie under the sun to keep you from doing that. He will lie and lie and lie to you. He will tell you everything imaginable to keep you from doing that. And uh, I, I just want to add here that don't let Satan keep you from getting this figured out. Boy, at the end of the service tonight, run down here to the front and grab hold of me or one of our church leaders or church leaders' wives and just say, I, I need to get this thing straightened out. I need to get this thing fixed. I need to get uh, my salvation settled. You may be here tonight and say, Pastor, I'm really not sure if I'm saved or not. I think I might be, but I'm just not 100% certain in this area. Well, look, why take, why play games with eternity? If we had a, if we had a revolver in a room back here with one bullet in the chamber, I don't think any two people would go back there and play Russian roulette. Why would you play Russian roulette with your eternity? If there's even a smidgen of chance that you're not saved, if there's even a smidgen of chance that you're going to stand at the judgment seat in heaven one day and God's going to look down at you and say, or rather the great white throne judgment, that you would be there, and God's going to look down at you and say, I never knew you. Why delay that? Why not go to Him tonight and get that settled once and for all? The rejection of godless fruit within the church, the rejection of godless fruit without the church. Matthew chapter 12. Let's look at a very difficult passage, a passage that stumped a lot of people. And I'm not going to get super deep with it tonight, but we are going to look at it here. Matthew chapter 12, look at verse number 30. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And, and whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and the fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers! How can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Notice below that, their dismissal of God. Their dismissal of God. Look at verse 31, the beginning of verse 31 there. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Have you noticed how blasphemous the world is against our God? Have you noticed that? How many of you have to tolerate and put up with people taking the name of the Lord in vain on a regular basis in either your home or your workplace uh, uh, or just there's an environment where you have to tolerate that. You know, I have to say nothing, nothing hurts me more than hearing someone take God's name in vain. But maybe the thing that's worse is when they attach a cuss word to God's name. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. And um, uh, why do they do it? Well, they do it because they've out and out dismissed God. And they're uh, belittling Him. They're belittling Him. We live in a world and time where people claim to be atheists and then turn around and take God's name in vain every other phrase. Well, which one is it, sir? Are you an atheist? 
If you're an atheist, then why do you keep referring to him in a vain way every other, every other phrase? It seems to me if you're an atheist and you don't believe in God, then you'd find someone else to take in vain. Their dismissal of God. Uh, how do you know that fruit is bad fruit or fruit is rotten fruit? If you've given someone the gospel over and over and over and over again and you know they know the gospel and they just continue to live a lifestyle that is sort of uh, thumbing their nose at God and being uh, belittling toward God and His Word and they're running from God and they're, bl- they're living a blasphemous lifestyle, well, that's a, there's a good sign that they know the truth, but they're dismissing the truth. Their dismissal of God. Notice below that, uh, notice their defiance of the Holy Spirit. Their defiance of the Holy Spirit. Now, I do believe there are a few actions that a person can take that disqualifies them from being able to be saved. People don't like to hear that, and people get nervous and tense when that is said. But Matthew 12 is one of those instances where a person can lose their opportunity to be saved. We say that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's a verse in the Bible. And we'll say that Jesus can save anybody. And Jesus absolutely is powerful enough to save anybody. It's not a question of can Jesus save them. It's a question of is Jesus willing to save them. Can I tell you that this passage tells us there is something a person can do where God will get to a place where He just won't save them. He won't convict them. He won't draw them unto Himself. And He will not allow them to be saved. Look at Matthew 12 and verse number 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all men of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto you. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, or a word against Jesus, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Wow. Now turn over to Mark chapter 3 with me. Hold your place in Matthew. And Mark 3 adds a little more clarity to this for us. Mark chapter 3 and verse number 29 It says, but he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. And then notice the disciples' response. Because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. He hath an unclean spirit. Um, first, first point I want to draw out of here is that if you're saved, you cannot blaspheme the Holy Ghost. If you're saved, you cannot blaspheme the Holy Ghost. How do we know that? Well, verse 30, this person who Jesus is speaking to uh, was, uh, was demon-possessed. I was speaking about, rather, was demon-possessed. And a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Do you all understand that? If, you're, if the Holy Ghost indwells you, a demon cannot indwell you as well. And so if you're saved, you cannot blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Furthermore, you need to understand what it means to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Uh, the process of salvation, we make it super simple for people to understand so they can be saved. And we don't get into the weeds of the doctrines necessarily all the time. But it's important for me to take just a moment and explain some of the behind the curtain, behind the scenes of, scenes of, of how it works for someone to be saved. Um, uh, it isn't just as simple as I walk up to a stranger 
Scripture and I give them the Gospel and I bring them to a place where they're willing to pray a prayer and I get them to bow their head and pray a prayer. Now, for most of my Christian life, I was under the understanding that if I could explain the Gospel and get them to intellectually engage and then get them to pray a prayer, then that meant that they were automatically saved. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the case. Not only do they need to call on the name of Jesus to be saved, the Spirit of God must be drawing them for them to be saved. If the Spirit of God is not in it, then they're not saved. That's very important for you to understand. Now, the Holy Spirit, it is His job to knock on the heart's door. It is His job to convict of sin. And it is, it is His job to redeem them and seal them under redemption. Go back and do your homework on soteriology or the doctrine of salvation if you, if you seem to disagree with that statement. It is the Spirit of God that saves someone. He is the one that does the work. So if the Spirit of God is absent in the process of you giving the gospel and witnessing to someone, then that person didn't get saved even if they prayed a prayer. Now, now, I do believe that if a person is willing to bow their head and pray, that the Spirit of God will draw them and will redeem them. But can I tell you that if a person has been told and been told and been told and been told the gospel, and the Spirit of God has pricked and convicted and pricked and convicted, and a person gets to a place where they just tell the Holy Spirit no, that the Holy Spirit reaches a point where he says, I'm done. I'm done. I reached out to you, you swatted my hand away. That is the act of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When you know the truth, and over and over and over and over and over again, you refuse to put your faith in Christ so He can save you. And you continue to put your faith in a system that's broken. You have blasphemed, you have defied the Holy Spirit. It isn't saying, I blaspheme the name of the Holy Spirit. It isn't the act of something you say. It's the act of something that you do. I'm talking about rotten fruit without the church. I'm talking about people who are sealing their fate, crossing a line with God. You say, well, pastor, where is that line? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that that line is there. And I do know that if the Spirit of God has been working on you towards salvation, boy, you better not continue to deny it. I, I think of a day uh, down in uh, Middle River, Maryland, that myself and a man by the name of Justin DeRosa, we were knocking doors in an apartment complex. And my wife and I ended up living in that apartment complex sometime later. And this gentleman came to the door. I took about 45 minutes with him, explained the gospel to him, and he understood. And I got down to the end. And boy, the conviction of God was dripping off of him. You could see the Lord working on him. The, the Spirit of God, it was, it, was, it was immaterial, but it was felt by everybody there. And you could see the anguish on his face as he wanted to accept, but his flesh didn't want to accept. And I pushed and I prodded and I plead. I did everything but get out of my knees and beg the man to get saved. And he closed his door and he said, not this time. Not this time. Now, that one act may not come across as blaspheming the Holy Ghost, but that act of denying over and over and over again, eventually the Holy Ghost says, I'm done. I'm done. How many here like to be rejected? Not any of us. Nobody likes to be rejected. You think the Holy Ghost is any different? The defiance. Notice below that their destruction in hell. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Back over Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. I'm almost done here. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 32. The Bible says, 
And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. There will be destroyed in hell. Now, the question needs to be posed, and here's how we'll finish the sermon. Can rotten fruit be salvaged? Can rotten fruit be salvaged? And I will say this, some rotten fruit can be salvaged. There are people who've been told the gospel and have rejected it, but at some, at, but still can be salvaged because they've not yet crossed God's line. You say, well, pastor, what role do I play with that? Let me ask this tonight. How many of you have some, here have someone in your life that you have witnessed to, you know they know the gospel, whether you are a family member or a loved one or even a preacher, you know they know the gospel, but they have not yet gotten saved. How many of you here know someone like that? That's most of us, is it not? What do you do with those people? How do you reach them? Do you continue to every time you see them, hit them over the head with a gospel stick? You're going to wear them out. What do you do? Well, let me help you with that. Number three, notice our reforming to godly fruit. Our reforming to godly fruit. Letter A, notice Christian authenticity. Turn over to Galatians chapter number 7. Galatians number 7 with me. Let's finish the sermon in Galatians. We're done in Matthew. Galatians number, or rather, there's no Galatians 7, excuse me. Galatians chapter 6. I'm having you turn to a chapter I don't believe exists. Galatians chapter 6. And look at verse number 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Look at verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap correction. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap, we shall reap, if we faint not. Now, I find this passage very interesting. God says, Christian, be authentic. By the way, this is written, Galatians is written to a body of believers in Galatia. So this passage, this whole book is written to Christians. This is not a book about how to become a Christian. This is a book to those who are already Christians. And he's saying here, hey, be not deceived. You, you can't hoodwink God. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. You, you may be able to hoodwink the preacher. You may be able to fool your, your spouse. You may be able to fool your parents. But God is not deceived. God knows. And whatever it is you're sowing in public and private, there's going to come a day where the fields are ripe with those actions of your past. And then he says this in verse 9. Look back at verse 9. He says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Here, here's what I want to say here, and then we'll finish, we'll finish with B and C. Um, those in your life who you've witnessed to or you know have been witnessed to, and they know the gospel and have not yet gotten saved, do you know the best thing you can do for them is be a genuine Christian? Be who you're supposed to be. I think about Miss Rose who had 13 or 14 visitors, and Brother Jake, 13, 14 visitors in church today. She works with many of them. Some of them are family. Her daughter and son-in-law were here in town from Philadelphia. Uh, 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 friends and family. You know why they showed up today? Because believe it or not, on some level, there is authenticity. There's a genuine Christian heart w- within this married couple right here. They looked at that and they said, you know what? I, I know that you're a Christian. I, I want to go check out what that's all about. There's some authenticity there. I think a lot of times we hinder people being saved by the way we act. You tell your coworkers you're a Christian, and then something doesn't go your way, and you let out a string of cuss words, and they're going, well, if you're a Christian, then 
how are you any different than me? You're willing to go sit at the bar with them, or you're willing to go stand outside and smoke break and smoke a cigarette, or you're willing to whatever it is. And the Lord step and they step back and say, if that's Christianity, it's not any different than the way I'm living. You say, well, they'll make fun of me if I'm different. Let them make fun of you. Be different, because that's really what they want out of you. Christian authenticity. If somebody is going to leave this category of having heard and not been saved and come over to being saved, then they're looking for you to be authentic. Let her be noticed. Christian attitude. Look at Galatians 5, verse 22. Uh, we, we know these verses from this year. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And uh, we've been looking at these on Sunday morning. We have... Uh, meekness and temperance to cover uh, once the program is over. But uh, here is what I'll just quickly say on this. Those who are not saved that know the gospel and know you, they're watching you. They're watching how you respond to hardships. When something doesn't go your way in life, do you respond with love, joy, peace? Or do you respond with strife, depression, bitterness, anger, frustration, What's your response? Is your response the fruit of the Spirit or, or is it the work of the flesh? I, I think many times people are saved because they look at a Christian and they say, I can't do that. I can't forgive when someone's mean to me. I, I can't love when I'm put in a bad spot. I don't have joy when, when, when my health takes a turn. I don't have peace when uh, my adult child uh, uh, takes a right turn or is out left field and won't talk to me anymore. Somehow, this person is different. And you know why? They're looking at the attitude that you have and they're saying, I want what they have. Now, if your attitude is no different than theirs, there's no reason for them to come to salvation. Someone put it this way, you may be the only Bible that some people will ever read. How are you portraying the Scripture? Let her see, lastly, notice Christian affection. Christian affection. Look at Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Look at verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what I heard over and over and over and over and over and over and over again today from our guests? I heard more guests than I can remember tell me this. I felt loved here today. You have a very friendly community here. This church is warm. You know what they were saying? There is Christian affection at White Oak Baptist Church. And White Oak Baptist Church said that, I would say thank you. Thank you for going out of your way to making all of our guests feel warm today. Can I tell you, though, that Sunday night... Not really a lot of visitors show up. Can we still love each other then? Hey, how about Monday morning when you're not here and you know that your brother and sister in the Lord is struggling? Can you bow your head and pray for him? Can you call him? Can you send him a text and let him know you care for him, that you love him? It's that Christian affection. And when the lost see how we take care of our own, you know what they do? They come back and say, I want that. We want to put on display Christianity. So the world will come. Do you know that in the media, online, um, sometimes it's deserved because of the way we behave, but online, social media, the media, uh, the culture at large, you know how we're painted as Christians? That we're hateful and intolerant. That's how we're painted. 
Christian, buck that. Don't give, don't fuel that, buck that. If you have a problem, let me just say this right here and I'll be done. If you have a problem with somebody in this church, whoever it is, don't you go make that, don't you go put that out there in a public forum. You, you, you go to, follow the Matthew 18 principle. You go to the person and you settle that with them. That's the Christian affection way to do it. Lastly, to someone who's lost, if you go take your Bible every single time you see that loved one at a family reunion who you've witnessed to and is not getting saved, and you just keep beating them over the head with a Bible and beating them over the head with a Bible, you know what they don't feel? They don't feel affection. They feel annoyed. They feel annoyed. Now, there are times where you still need to get the gospel in there. But you pray the Lord gives you the manner of how to do that. You pray that the Spirit of God leads you in how to do that. And you show them affection. And let the love of God reach their heart. What to do with rotten fruit. One day, there's going to be a reckoning. And God's going to reject a whole bunch of people who were religious and non-religious alike because they never truly repented. It's our duty to make sure we present Christianity in the best light possible. How are you doing with that tonight, Christian? Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to commit to being authentic Christians that carry a godly attitude and have a heart of affection for others? Would you, do, would you reveal in our lives where we fall short in those areas and help us to put the best foot forward, to be the best version of a Christian that we can be so that, Lord, you can reach those who are on the fence about being saved, that they can come over and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. How about it tonight, Christian? Are you affectionate? How's your attitude?